Before we get started, a word from our friends at Keeley Companies. One of the best parts about having Keeley Companies as our sponsor and partner is that they are so easy to celebrate. They're shining a much-deserved light right now on the talented women whose innovation and dedication has allowed Keeley Companies to continue to achieve phenomenal growth and success. Right now, they're celebrating Courtney V. She is a field safety coordinator with Keeley Companies and has been in the construction industry for a little bit more than five years. She'll be the first to tell you that joining a male-dominated industry as a young woman was at first intimidating, yet as she cultivated her career, she became a confident, trusted, and respected team member. When asked what advice she might give other young women starting out in this industry, she said, the three things you need to focus on are communication, confidence, and building relationships. Be able to communicate and encourage people to communicate even when you're not there. The whole goal is to build relationships and not to be afraid to speak your mind. Well, thank you, Courtney, for the awesome reminder. And thank you, Keeley Companies, for bringing forward an awesome leader. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. We have for you this week a very interesting guest, a very interesting story, and I believe very practical tools that you can apply in your business, in your family, in your singleness, in your health, in your relationships, in life. Her name is Megan Hyatt Miller. She is the author of a book called When at Work and succeed in life. One of the things that our coaching organization has heard from client after client, team member after team member, is the struggles they face in trying to balance with Zoom fatigue constantly on, never fully getting away from work, but always kind of being plugged into family at the same time. Not exactly sure how they're going to keep doing all the things that they're trying to do going forward. They're exhausted. Many of us can relate with that. Well, our guest today has some simple ideas that she believes will make us more effective both in work and in life. We're going to be talking today about grabbing a double win. I'll unpack with you later on what a double win means for you. We're going to be talking about breaking free from the cult of overwork. Yes, that means when you answer the question, how are you doing? And the response is always, oh, busy. I am so busy. Uh, that, in fact, might not be the best response for your level of sanity and success going forward. So we will talk about breaking free from the cult of overwork, rebalancing, reprioritizing, reimagining what success looks like for you. We're going to be talking about liberation through limits. We're going to be embracing constraints along the journey forward, rethinking sleep, and giving you a practical next best step so that you can grab on to your double win. Well, our guest today to help us do all of these things is Megan Hyatt Miller. I've been following her father and her work for years. She is a business leader. She is an author. She is an auntie, a mother, a spouse, a daughter, and as you are about to find out, 
an awesome human being. So my friends, I'm going to encourage you right now, whether you are working 82 hours a week and you're exhausted or you're working two and a half and you're trying to figure out what to do with the rest of your retirement. Probably most of us are somewhere in between. For all of us, though, there's something from this conversation that you will get a ton of value from. So sit back, grab your favorite, you know, why not, Live Inspired Journal. We have them. Grab your favorite Live Inspired Journal. Grab a pen, buckle up, get ready to take some notes as we create a double win for you and your life with my friend and now yours. Her name is Megan Heitmiller. Megan, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. John, this is such a treat. I loved getting to talk to you before we started, and I can't wait to continue our conversation. Well, the treat is mine, and it is about to be our listeners. I bragged about you on the front side. We're fans of you, of your book, and of your entire organization. And, Megan, maybe not everybody knows about you and your book and your organization. So when you bump into somebody in the grocery store, and you bump carts, and you apologize, and then they they say, hey, I'm Billy, and you say, I'm Megan. And then they (laughs) said, Megan, what, what do you do for a living? What do you do for a living? So Megan, how do you respond to that question? Yeah, that's that's such a great question. Well, I feel like I haven't done a lot of bumping into each other, into people at the grocery store for a while. I'm looking forward to doing that a little more as time goes on here. But um, well, I'm the CEO of Michael Hyatt and Company, a company that my dad, Michael Hyatt, started. He was the uh, former CEO and chairman of uh, Thomas Nelson Publishers, which is the largest Christian publisher um, in the world and one of the largest publishing companies in the world now called um, Harbor Christian Publishing. And uh, our company started in 2011, and we're really a performance coaching company, and we help leaders and their teams um, really figure out this thing that we're talking about today, which is how to win at work and succeed at life. Because so many people can help you build a great business, but they can't necessarily help you build a great life to go alongside of it. And we really feel like we want you to have both and we know it's at stake. You know, you know, we're talking about this a little bit before we started recording that there's so much at stake in all areas of your life that we want people to find a path to not just be successful, but to really um, have a well-rounded life and look back without regret at how they spent it. So that's this new book, When It Work and Succeed at Life is, is all about that. You, you made a lot of friends. You've coached with a lot of individuals, teams, and organizations. Yep. Do you think that regret is something that a lot of folks are, uh, are yeah. dealing with either right now or near the end of their life? I think that's really true. I, I, I do think so. You know, I think that um, we either have regrets or we're, we fear having regrets. And, you know, I think about uh, my own story. Um, I have five kids. I have three kids with special needs. And a big reason this message is important to me and really kind of my catalyst moment was our younger three children are adopted. We have kids ages 20 to two, if you can believe it. My husband and I apparently just want to be parents. <laughs> literally forever. And uh, when we brought our middle boys home in 2011, they're adopted from Uganda. I knew that they were going to need my time and energy and attention to really heal from what they had experienced before they joined our family. And my dad simultaneously came to me and he said, Hey, I'm ready for you to run the company so I can focus on some other things for the company. And I'm like, I want to say yes. And I also know what's at stake with my kids that I don't want to look back with regret and say that I kind of like delegated that or something and know that their future was on the line. And so I said, yes, but I said, 
okay, only if I can be done at 3.30 every day so that I can pick them up from school and really be present for them after school. And he said, okay, as long as you can deliver the results, I'm okay with that. So we kind of went into this experiment and we've been doing it ever since, you know, for years and years now and it, it worked, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what I hear from our clients and from the listeners to our podcast and things like that is that either they've lived in a way where they've workaholism and this kind of like hustle culture thing has taken over and they do look back and they think, I really compromised or am compromising my family or my health or, you know, other important relationships and priorities. And gosh, you know, I don't know what I can do to fix that or what can I do to change that now? So I don't get 20 years down the road and have a ton of regret. So I think that's a big deal for people. Megan, what were you doing before you became COO of the organization? Uh, I was the chief brand officer. So I was kind of directing the evolution of our brands and, and things like that. So I was already in an executive position, but it was not quite as all encompassing as what I'm doing. Well, what I was doing when I became the chief operating officer and certainly what I'm doing now. So, so I'm just blown away. Uh, it's a big job. And even yep. though you put time constraints on it, the word constraint, by the way, we'll come back to it near the yes. end of the podcast. Gosh, I love that word. It's, a Me too. Word. it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Even with the constraints, you're a you're a new mom right. of four babies. Right. It's a, a mixed family. You're a relatively new wife. You're a yep. new in this role. You got a lot of challenges, a lot of opportunities. The world is going quick. How do you begin to manage through all of yeah. those challenges and opportunities? Well, I mean, in truth, it was overwhelming at times, right? Like that, I think that was really kind of the lead up to figuring some of this stuff out was like, wow, this could just take over my life if I'm not careful. And, and it really, I could get swept away in it, both the opportunities and the challenges. Mm -hmm. And there's so much coming at me all at the same time. I mean, you guys are listening. I'm sure you feel like this. Some days you're just like, Ooh, what day is it? Where am I? You know, what meeting am I in or, or whatever? There's just so many things that it can get overwhelming. I think for me, it really came down to, and this is something we talk about in this book is identifying my non-negotiables in a few different areas. So first of all, self-care, which I know some of you right well, now just rolled your I, eyes. Pause you. Let me just hit pause real quick. You yeah. Know, time. Now, we're, now we're back. Sometimes on a podcast, the Live Inspired podcast, it's just about sitting back and just savoring, just listening yeah. to the story right. and be inspired. Uh, this is a working session, people. Right. So grab the coffee, take a big swig, grab the notepad, <laughs> grab the journal, grab a pen with a ton of ink in it, because I, I'm just, we're going to go through this process together. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to make sure as you begin to unpack the journey that uh, yeah. we're ready to go along for the ride with you. Well, thank you. I I think that's a helpful setup. So, you know, some of you guys probably, I said self-care and you're like, oh no, you know, because I I think this whole conversation about work-life balance and self-care and all that, we kind of, some of us internally, myself included, tend to roll our eyes because either, um, you know, we're like high achievers and that doesn't sound serious enough, or maybe we've tried and it feels like kind of an unfulfilled promise that people are always like, yeah, you should really do self-care. You should have work-life balance. And it always feels just kind of out of reach. And I think it's because we all know there is just not enough time to do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we, we cannot do it all or have it all in that sense. What we can have and do are the most important things, you know, to us. And so I think in order to, for that to be true, though, we have to ask the question, okay, well, what does that mean for me? Like, what are my non 
non-negotiable. So when you think about self-care, what do you need to perform at your best in your life? You know, regardless of what season of life you're in, maybe you're a mom with little kids, maybe you've recently retired, maybe you're leading a team, but still there, there are things you want to show up for in your life. So what do you need to be at your best, assuming you can't do it all? You know, for me, that's like getting to bed every night at nine o'clock. That's like, my day is won or lost at the nine o'clock hour. If I'm in bed, it's great. If I'm not, it's a problem, you know? So that's one of the things. Then the next area is your relational priorities. What for you are your relational priorities that are non-negotiable? Like no matter what this stuff has to happen, you know, for me, that looks like I want to sit down and have dinner with my family five nights a week. Now that could be Chick-fil-A on paper plates. doesn't really matter. It's not a, that part is not non-negotiable to me. What we eat is not non-negotiable sitting down and looking my kids in the eye and my husband after, you know, a day that we've been at school and work and all the things is really important. So that's on my list. Um, you know, going to church is on my list now that we can actually go back to church, um, going on a date night, which I'll do tonight with my husband. Actually, when we're done, John, with our conversation here, we're going to go on our date night. Those for me are my relational non-negotiables. And the last area, which doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, depending on your season of life, but is the professional results that you care about, you know, that really matter and move your, whether, you know, you have your own business or you're in a role working for somebody else, you know, what are the results that ultimately are your biggest contribution? And then we start looking at, okay, how do we schedule those things so that they're blocked on the calendar? And we, again, we don't have time for everything, but we have enough time for those non-negotiables. To me, hearing you say that, it sounds so easy. And it also sounds like something I know of almost no one doing well. Right, right. Almost all of us have a chain connected to our collar that pulls us in the direction of kids' activities, of work yeah. events, phone calls that we have to return, emails we must respond to, yeah. bills we've got to pay, life that must be lived. Mm-hmm. And then we look back, as you said earlier, with potential regrets. Right. So how do we begin proactively? Yeah. To what these non-negotiables might be? Well, so I, I think the first thing, you know, we talk about this in the book, that there are these principles and practices that go along with them. And the first one is that work is only one of the many ways that we orient our lives. You know, for a lot of us, the culture that we have grown up with either inside the company we work for organization, or just like, you know, if you're, if you're listening from somewhere in America, this is like hardwired into the DNA of American cultures that work as a primary orientation of life. We really say, no, it's only one. There are really like 10 domains of life. And we need to be thinking about all those. If we want to have success in the, the truest sense, the kind of success that you get to the end of your life and look back and don't have regrets. So I think it comes down to defining what this double win, what does it mean for you to win at work and succeed at life? And I, I mean, this is a great conversation to have with a spouse. If you're married or a roommate or a friend, um, or a counselor or, you know, a pastor, like there are so many people you could have this conversation with, but just get a pen and paper out and just ask in the areas of self-care, relational priorities and professional results. What for you are non-negotiables that like it's gotta be in the ingredients for your life or it's not gonna be a success. And then I think most of us though, we don't even stop to ask that because we're just kind of caught up in the busyness and hectic nature of life that we don't ask and then think with intention about what matters to us? What are, what are our values and what does that ask of us in terms of non-negotiables? And I think that you'll be surprised what, finds its way on the paper when you sit down to do this, because probably it's just not something that you've done yet. You write a lot. You speak a lot about double wins. 
Yeah. You haven't yet defined what a double win means. Tell, tell yeah. me what a double win means. Well, we define a double win as winning at work, which means really producing excellent results in your professional life. So that might be financial results, or that might be, you know, the lives you impact if you're in a nonprofit or ministry setting and then succeeding at life, which means that it's not enough just to have that win at work part, you know, that's great. And that, you know, is necessary for most of us for, you know, fueling our life, as you said earlier, but also what does it mean to succeed in the rest of your life? What, when you get to the end of your life, what do you want for your health, your most important relationship, your spiritual life, your impact in the world? You know, we really go through the life domains, these 10 life domains and talk a lot about that to help you figure out what that looks like for you. You know, so that's the double win that we don't want you to choose between what we call the hustle fallacy, which is, I just got to double down for a little bit longer and work a lot of extra hours, you know, until this, uh, you know, product is done or until this ministry is launched or until this um, business is off the ground or whatever. Uh, but, but then I'll get back to normal, except normal doesn't come. You know, you see this in influencer culture and social media or like somebody like Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, you know, where he's sleeping in his office and working hundred hours a week, you know, that's the hustle fallacy. But the flip side of that would be the ambition break, which looks like, okay, I, I don't want that. That's, that scares me. So I'm going to tap the break of my professional potential, the potential impact I could have in the world. And I'll just kind of be okay with that, you know, kind of a small story, so to speak, um, so that I don't have regrets about shortchanging the people I love most or my health or other things I can't get back when it's too late. And, you know, my dad and I really say in this book, we don't like either one of those. What we really believe is that you can get the double win, win at work and succeed at life, but there's particular ways you have to think about it and go about it. And this book is very practical with getting into that. So let's get into it. Yeah. I love the book, like I told you, I love the chapters. I love how you broke it out. And I want to call out ahead of time that it's uniquely positioned to allow an entrepreneur or a sales executive or a business owner to really say, okay, this was intended just for me. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it is intended for people who might be in a different stage in life. Right. They, they might be a frontline employee. They yep. might be in the third shift. They might be retiring this year or three yep. years ago. So for those who are thinking, you know, this, she sounds like a wonderful lady and I I hope she does well with the book, but it's not for me. Tell our listeners why they ought to lean even farther toward the radio right now as we get ready to unpack this book and unpack what it means in their lives. I think that's really good. Well, I I mean, I I think that the double win is for everybody, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you've recently retired, or like you said, you're working, you know, a third shift or, you know, what, whatever your context is. Most of us don't think about what we want out of our life with intention very often. That's just not kind of what the culture we live in tells us to do. You know, we live in a culture that says, you know, person should always be busy and hustling is kind of a badge of honor. And in reality, once we start to define what we want in our life, it is possible to have incredible outcomes, you know, to really look back and think if you're a grandparent, man, I know exactly what I want my relationship with my grandkids to look like. And I know what my non-negotiables are with my grandkids, you know, I mean, can you imagine like what that means for those kids or maybe you're volunteering in, in another context and you're really clear on that. There's just, 
there's something about being intentional. And while you may not be able to do or even need to do everything we talk about in the books, if you're not, uh, you know, a leader or a professional in the strict sense of the word, um, there is still so much about this book, I think that you can apply and find that you're living with more intention and fulfillment and purpose and satisfaction as a result. Let's dive in. You, okay. you and I pulled out a bunch of quotes. There's no way in the world we're going to get through them all. <laughs> I will read the work of the Hyatts. And uh, and Megan, you unpack what you mean when you and Michael write this. Yeah, okay. great. So here, there's so many to choose from, but here we go. Breaking free from the cult of overwork requires interrupting the negative feedback loop with new and better ideas. That's why we wrote the book, Win at Work and Succeed in Life. We want to offer our fellow high achievers some of the hard to come by common sense. What mm-hmm. are you telling us that we ought to, we, we need in our lives? Yeah, well, you know, we talk about it like the cult of overwork because it, it kind of has a cultic quality to it out there. This sort of prevailing yeah. uh, kind of, you know, atmosphere out there in particularly Western culture that just says, you know, work provides the primary orientation of life. Constraints stifle your productivity. Work-life balance is a myth. You know, you should always be busy and that rest is a waste of time. Like that is what kind of the tenets of this cult of overwork are. And that is what we're talking about is let's stop that for a second, that whole conversation in your head and say, wait a second, what if there was a better way? What if there was a third option to this hustle fallacy versus the ambition break that I talked about a few minutes ago? You know, what if we could rethink that? And that's exactly what we've come up with, with the principles of the double win and their corresponding practices. You know, it's so cool as we have this conversation, obviously we're knee deep in a global pandemic and it's forced right. us to live in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. And you're proving out that the tenants that you laid out in this, in this book, you're proving right. in the way that you guys are leading forward organizationally that, that this can indeed work. Would yeah. you talk about some of the changes yeah. that you've had to make in your organization and uh, what you expect to do with those changes going forward? Yeah, well, so like everybody else, you know, we were as sort of blindsided by the pandemic as anybody. We started thinking about a little bit in February of 2020. If you can remember that back that far, that feels like a lifetime ago, right? Oh my gosh. And, And so by March the 13th, after the president had declared a state of national emergency around the virus, we closed our office and uh, you know, went to work remotely. That in and of itself was not a big deal for us because we have been working remotely mostly for a long time. We do have an office, but mostly everybody works, you know, kind of in this hybrid capacity, mostly remotely. And all of a sudden though, what was different is the kids were home, right? And everything was hard. So grocery shopping was hard, figuring out what you could do that you did every day of your life and how to make that safe was hard. The psychic stress of what's happening with this pandemic. And it feels like the whole world's melting down. Plus there's no daycare. So the toddlers are crawling all over you. There's no school. So you're trying to work and, you know, have your kids over here doing their virtual school. I mean, our team was like, ah, that's too much. Right. And so, you know, they said to us guys, working eight hours under these conditions is like working 16. I mean, it's just not tenable. What can we do? And so my dad and I talked and I had been working this six, six and a half hour workday for a long time. And we said, okay, let's just do it as an experiment for a month. Let's just see if what it would be like if we started our day at nine and we ended at three, because then people could take their kids on walks and get outside and let them run off some steam and all that before it gets dark. Yeah, that'll be a good idea. 
Well, it's stuck. You know, we decided that, okay, we're really full force going to pursue this as a company. And by July or June of this year, everyone in our company will be doing it like hundred percent of the time. So it's been an evolutionary process to get there. What was amazing is that, you know, more or less, we cut our work time 25%, but we exceeded our profit goal for the year by 50%. So that's like counterintuitive math. Like that math doesn't make any sense. You know, you have less time, but you made more money. Like, how is that possible? I think the reason for that is because of you said, we're going to talk about constraints. So the, the second principle in the book is that constraints foster productivity, creativity, and freedom. And that when you constrain your workday, which is that corresponding practice, all of a sudden you start making better decisions, right? Mm -hmm. It's like when you're going to go on vacation, it's like Friday and you're going to leave in the morning, Saturday, you know, for vacation. I mean, yes. whether it's cleaning your house or getting projects done at work, all of a sudden you get things done. You have been putting off for months, right? <laughs> and that's the same thing here. I just think it, it really, um, it creates the optimal conditions for innovative thinking and prioritization that we don't have to do when there's no hard edges on our day and we can just work as long as we want. Megan, what do you say to the folks listening right now who say, my boss is not Megan? Right. She or he, they, whoever might be their leader is not as understanding, not sure. as skilled and sure. far more rigid. Right. The, you know, we, our organization is hearing from individual after individual, many of them ladies reaching out saying, We're, it's exhausting and I can't keep up this pace. Right. So right. for those of us who are burning out and we are burning the candle on both ends and it is not working, how, how do we begin mm -hmm. to reposition that right when the organization itself is not as entrepreneurial as yours yeah and i think that's a real challenge well first of all it's important to understand whether what you're experiencing is this pressure to work all the time or to be always on is internal or external i think we often assume it's all external and sometimes it really is sometimes you just have like a cutthroat culture and your boss wants you on from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed and if you're not that's a big problem what we see usually though is kind of a combination of this sort of passive or you know drifting culture where people are expected to be on but then there's also this internal thing and this is kind of interesting where in some ways it's easier to work than to be home mm. now some of you just went like oh she's talking to me you know where for example i'm a mom of five kids i have kids with special needs i have you know some challenges there sometimes it's easier for me to keep working than to think about going home and facing those challenges where there are not really definable wins on a daily basis. You know, it's, it's not as uh, affirming of me as a mom, you know, I've got teenagers. So like I get a lot of criticism <laughs> from my teenagers, you know, or, or maybe some people have challenges in their marriage and that's really hard, but there are reasons why we overwork that aren't just about external pressure. Um, also work is fun for a lot of us. You know, a lot of people, we hear this from our clients when they first um, start working with us, they love to work and they're like, I don't need a hobby. I love to work. That's my hobby. And we're like, yeah, but that's not the same thing as a hobby. You know, that's your brain never gets a break. So I think it's a, as we're thinking about how to answer this question, it's helpful to think about those two categories, internal and external pressure to overwork. Mm -hmm. If truly this is an issue of external pressure from your boss or your, you know, board or whatever, then I think it, it starts to be two things. One, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You may not be able to do everything that I'm saying, but you might be able to do something. You might be able to, for example, talk to your boss about setting a hard boundary around the evening or in the morning when you're going to start work. And you might be able to say, Hey, I just wanted to try something as an experiment. 
I really think I can produce even better results for you, which is I know what you care about. I always want to sell somebody with their priorities in mind, not my priorities, right? Um, and I wondered if we could just try for a month that I'm not going to actually get online until nine o'clock when I walk into the office. I promise you I will be on time. I'll be there. I'll be available. And you can call me if it's an emergency or text me. But I think I can show up with better ideas for you if I have that time to really prepare for my day. What do you think? Now, a lot of bosses that are results oriented, I think would be willing to consider that because it's intriguing to think, wait, you're pretty great already, but you can produce even better results. What would that look like? You know, so that's kind of how I would approach it. And again, this is not about perfectionism. It's not about rigidity. This is a, this is a flexible um, kind of compassionate way of understanding your life and the, and your human needs and seasons of life. For example, your non-negotiables, if you're, if you have little kids or if you're caring for your parents who have Alzheimer's are very different than my dad's is an empty nester or mine now with a two-year-old compared to when she was one or, you know, a tiny baby, right? Very, we just have to adjust for those things. So let's talk about adjusting. Yeah. It's okay. You, you have a section in the book called liberation through limits. I'm going to read a couple of quotes from this we'll okay. start with one. I love the analogy. Work is like water. It's life giving. It also flows wherever it can, unless otherwise, here's my favorite word, constrained. Yeah. You need hard edges to access its life giving properties. Think about the reservoirs, the drinking glasses, what they do for us. Without those hard edges, water can be destructive. Think about a river overflowing its banks and flooding low lying streets. It can mm -hmm. be destructive. Yeah. Yeah. We just actually had a flood that happened a few weeks ago where yeah. we have a floodplain in front of our uh, property and the kids were actually out kayaking. We have a river about, uh, you know, quarter of a mile from our house and it was just a really bad flood. And man, you can see if that had gotten much further, we would have been in real trouble. And I think that's how our lives are. If we have too much spillover, we have a big problem, but you know, what we recommend in the book is that you set these edges on your day. But I think before we can even do that, we have to almost like suspend our disbelief that constraints are a good thing. You know, again, American culture tells us constraints are a bad thing. We want to have it all. We want to be able to do everything we want. You know, we don't want anybody telling us what to do, but when we lovingly apply constraints in our life, what we find is our performance is better the kind of creativity that we have, the solutions that we come up with, you know, it's kind of like if you're spending on a budget and you're paying attention to where the money goes, you make way better decisions with your money than if you had all the money in the world or you don't have all the money in the world, but you're just not looking at your bank account. That's what most of us are doing when it comes to our time, energy, and attention. We are just spending without checking our bank balance and we don't know where the money's going. We don't have any clarity on what the return on investment is. And that's where we end up overdrawn, you know, to kind of extend this metaphor, we end up overdrawn and that is so painful, you know, and it doesn't have to be that way. You can actually do a lot when you're paying attention to where the money goes, or in this case, the time. So you can work from everywhere right now, Megan, which means most of us are right. working from everywhere all yep. the time. There are yes. no breaks. The emails are constantly beeping. And when they're not, we're being poked on Facebook and vibrated on LinkedIn. Oh. It's constant, the, the, the beeps and the whistles. Help us set some constraints that are healthy so that we can live our life rather than, rather than responding to the needs of others. Yeah. 
Well, again, the non-negotiables are helpful because now, you know, those things need to get on your calendar. So we talk about this in the book, kind of the third principle is work-life balance is truly possible. And the practice is schedule what matters. So once you scheduled what matters, those things for you, self-care, relational priorities, and professional results that you know matter, now you kind of know where you need to not be interrupted. And for starters, I would turn all those notifications off. I mean, notifications are like the devil, as far as I'm concerned, you know, they just interrupt us. They distract us. They hijack our focus. And if you have notifications, if you're trying to sit at family dinner with your spouse or your kids or both, and you hear pinging going on, I mean, good luck resisting the temptation to get up. You know, what I do is I like leave my phone on the counter away from where we're having dinner away from the table. And that helps me ignore it. But gosh, if I had it right next to me and it was, it was making sounds, there's no way. So I think, I think that's the thing is, you know, use things like screen time to help you with that and establish boundaries with people. I think we assume that we cannot ever establish boundaries. You know, if, if we have a culture in our company or organization that has, you know, high expectations, that that means we can't have any boundaries. Very often people just aren't pushing back and setting boundaries. And usually there's a, there's more wiggle room than you think to set these boundaries and just say, you know, I need to be off from this time and I'll check back in at this time. And usually as long as you're producing the results and communicating, it's okay. Um, so I think having those brave adult conversations with your boss and also mm-hmm. with, with your family or the people that you live with and love, you know, to say like, when I'm home, I'm committing to you that I'm not going to be on my phone until we put the kids to bed, or I'm not going to get my laptop out on the island while I'm making dinner. You know, I mean, my kids rarely will I do that, but they are like all over me, mom, you're working, you know, like this is family time, which is great. Empower people in your life to call you on that stuff. I have a seven-year-old who calls me out at any time my phone oh, yeah. is out and She's been e- equipped. She's been empowered to call. Right. They're his- very helpful. They're very black and white at that age. You know, they're a little legalistic, but it's helpful in this case. <laughs> Talk about the promise of balance. I think most of us would say the lie of balance. But yeah. You, you refer to it as the promise of balance. Well, I, I think it's really reasonable to call it the lie. I mean, I, I think that we have been fed a lie that has been empty promises where we've been told basically, oh yeah, you can have it all. If you're just good enough to figure it out, you know, if you're somehow uh, heroic and Herculean in your approach to life, then absolutely. You know what? You, you don't have balance figured out. I think it becomes a very shamey kind of, you know, most of us walk away, not feeling good about ourselves. I think the, the truth is though, is that work and the rest of your life are not in opposition to one another. They're actually complementary. When you take care of yourself outside of work and the people you love and the other domains of your life, your health and so forth, that actually enhances your work, your work. If you want a serious performance strategy, if you think I want to show up better than I ever have in my work and in my personal life, then what we're talking about here with this idea of the double win is absolutely the way to go. You know, think about somebody like Tom Brady or Serena Williams, where they've had these incredible long athletic careers, professional athletic careers. They would never imagine that they were going to step on the the field or the court and perform at their top level while shortchanging their sleep, for example, or nutrition, or their relationships. I mean, they just won't make it, right? They're going to end up in some kind of injury situation, which is going to sideline them or mental and emotional breakdown. Like they're just not going to have the longevity. And so somehow we tell ourselves a story that 
balance is, is not only not possible, but it's not really necessary, you know, when we're working professionally, but that's not true. We know from like science and experience with these elite athletes, of course, it's mission critical. If you want to perform at your top, you've got to make this a priority, but it's, it's easier than you think. It's really about designing. What does this mean for you? And then leveraging the tools that we talk about in the book, like scheduling and constraints to make it happen. As a young mom, with two little babies at home that you adopted and you're trying to figure out some of their health needs and the yeah. opportunity to help them heal forward. Yep. And now you've got this massive leadership role where you are surrounded in large part by men. Yep. Was it hard for you to say, I'm leaving at three o'clock today and I'm yes. taking my kids? Yes, it was. Um, I think when I was less confident in my position and less confident in my leadership, that felt very risky. You know, at that time, uh, we had fewer women in our company. Now, I think we're like 60% women. So we have a lot of women. And I think in large part, we we have these amazing women because they are trying to do both when it work and succeed at life. And we have a very hospitable culture for that. So I think that's a big reason, but I absolutely felt intimidated. I was like, what are these executives going to think who all report to me, who, when I'm like, see you guys, I'm out. It's three 30. I got to go pick up my kids from school. You know, there's sort of an unwritten rule that you shouldn't talk about your family or kids or, you know, anything too soft, too much, or nobody's going to take you seriously. What I found though was so interesting. I have amazing men who work for me and women. Um, but the guys in particular, what I found is the more I started talking about my family, the more they started talking about their family. And we talk about our families all the time. You know, I mean, these are like guys that are passionate fathers and husbands, and they care about this stuff so much. And I think it's just, you kind of have to break that mold of that culture that says that, you know, we have to keep this hard line, this Chinese wall between these two poles of our life in reality. I think if 2020 showed us anything, it's all in there. It's like much more spaghetti than bento box. Like it's a mess, you know, it's just like all in there together and we just got to make room for it. And I think now I don't think about it at all, but back then I absolutely did. Well, it's a great pivot point. You said make room for it. So let's make yeah. room for it. You have a, a topic called the profitable pause. Mm. What is a profitable pause and why does it matter? Well, I think that, uh, you know, it's easy if you find yourself identifying as a high achiever that you never take a minute that, I mean, you think you have to be working all the time. You think you have to be uh, racing around from one productive thing to the next. And we talk a lot about in the book. In fact, uh, this is the fourth principle that there's incredible power in non-achievement and that we actually recommend, gasp, that everybody should have a hobby. And that there's value in having this time that is non-achievement oriented. One, because it's enriching to your life and rejuvenating to your life. And, you know, most people, when they look back on their life, this is a, a kind of an ingredient for success if it was fulfilling. But also because if you want to perform at your best professionally, you have to have time when you're not working, that this is kind of deceptively not profitable in the sense that you're not making money. There's not billable hours or something like that. However, it's what sets you up to be able to do your best work. I mean, think about where you get your best ideas. Is it usually when you're sitting at your desk? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, one time I was outside, like I have a little French door to my right as we record this. And I was outside and one of my colleagues walked in and the reality was I was out the, outside like brainstorming. Right. He walks in and said, what are you doing? And I like, I think I made something up like, oh, uh, I am a, <laughs> I 
I'm just taking out the trash. I'll be right, right back. Right, right, right. The reality is, no, I was just brainstorming, letting my mind wander. So my best ideas always come in the shower. And I would me imagine too. that's many. Me too. That happened to me this morning, actually. I My husband came back from a bike ride and I was like, I have this great idea to tell you. And I wasn't even trying to think about it. But that's true. A lot of people tell me that happens when they're running or fishing or drawing or yeah. cooking. I mean, whatever it is for you, the, 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 and this doesn't have to be like you're spending hours golfing every week. I know some people love to golf and you know, if you're in a season of your life where you can do that, great. But all of you with little kids or really demanding things going on in your life, I don't want you to think this is not for you. This is for you. This could be 15 minutes a week. This could be an hour a week, but just something that is non-achievement oriented is so life-giving, but also professionally powerful right. in terms of your performance. You and I share one. I believe oh, one of the fishing? things I love to do, one of my habits, one of my hobbies is playing the piano. Oh yes. Okay. So I'm just learning. I'm just starting that. I'm like a baby piano player. I played as a kid, but I'm just starting that again for exactly this reason. I thought I need, I need something. I fish when I'm at the lake, our family's a lake house. Um, and my sisters and I go down there with our kids and, you know, it's really fun, but that's not all the time. You know, we might go couple times a month. And so I thought I need something at home that I can do. That's not actually exercise. Cause I also run, I need to figure out something like that, but that I can do in, you know, just a little bit of time. And so I decided to pick piano this year. Well, I love it. I think you're going to love it. And I think it's like riding a bike and the old lessons from when you were nine. I hope so. Dreaming back <laughs> in the way. I hope so. Fingers Mary crossed. Had a lamb will be, you know, you'll be crushed. Oh, perfect. You, know it. <laughs> you mentioned your sisters, you mentioned the lake house, something else I've read about you. And I think it's really cool is you've got this big family business. You've yeah. got a father who was highly successful and well known yeah. in the industry and the guy that all of us in this industry look up to. It's just, a, it's a wonderful brand. And yet when you're not wor working, you're not talking about it. And so tell, tell me yeah. and tell listeners why it's important for you and your dad to not talk about work when you're not working. Yeah. Well, I get a lot of questions about this, like the whole family business thing, because mostly what we've all experienced is just going really badly, you know, either the succession planning part going badly or family infighting or whatever. And, you know, we really looked at each other a few years ago and said, we don't want to do it that way. We want this to actually be a blessing to our family and not a curse. And so what would that have, what would have to be true for that to be the case? And one of the things that we realized where one of our biggest risk points was talking about the business, which again is really fun and we really love it, you know, but talking about that when we're together, like we were uh, last Saturday for my daughter's second birthday, we had my aunt and uncle there. We had my sisters there with, you know, husbands and boyfriends and kids and all that, you know, it was just, it was crazy. And what we found is that when we talk about business, when we're in that context, it's alienating to the other family members who aren't in the business. I have one other sister who works for us, um, but she's not an owner in the business. And so, you know, those are different conversations and it's just not fair. You know, we want to have kind of like take different hats on and off. Like now I'm in CEO business partner land versus now I'm in daughter and sister land. And when I'm with my sisters at a birthday party for our family or something, or at the lake, I want to be able to just enjoy them as a sister and not have it be like they're on the outside of a little, you know, yep. inside conversation between my dad and me. So that's a rule we made a long time ago and it served us well. It's a great rule. And it's yeah. a great rule when you two love golf and you know, the third person at the table doesn't like, right. Try to be inclusive with the yes. people around you. And so frequently right. we put on the tangents of the things that only turn us on. I know. And it's a lot of fun, but it's also, um, it can push people away from the conversation. Yeah. 
it can create resentment and just that feeling of being left out. And that's the opposite of what we want. Well, so you and I love piano. You and I are learning together. And there's another thing that you and one of my family members have in common. Caddy Kilker, my wonderful grandmother, uh, 97 goes to bed at 9 p.m. Wow. Megan Hyatt Miller goes to bed at 9 <laughs> She's 97. You're a bit younger. She's yes. a little less busy. You're a little bit more preoccupied. Uh, tell me why rethinking sleep matters. Yeah. So. Well, I'll say it this way. I think a lot of us are coming out of 2020. And when I was talking about self-care, you might've been thinking self-care. I haven't thought about that in a year. I was just trying to make it, you know, I had my kids home and, you know, my job felt uncertain or, or, you know, just so many things. And so that for you may have fallen, you know, by the wayside, if that's true for you, the, the one place I would recommend that you start is sleep. Uh, What we know from neuroscience is that nothing prepares you for top performance in your life, like sleep. You know, we think about exercise and nutrition. If I'm going to do self-care, I got to really think about that. But if we're not getting enough sleep and by that, I mean, really eight hours a night, um, it's like, in fact, I think the statistic is if you're sleeping six or fewer hours a night, you're, uh, you're functionally inebriated. I mean, is that crazy? Like you're walking around drunk through your life. Ask any parent. I just had this conversation actually with one of our executives who has a new baby and she was talking about, you know, she's finally sleeping. And I was like, you've been walking around drunk all this time. That's what it feels like. And I know, cause I've been there recently myself in the last couple of years, you know, you, your decision-making is compromised. Your health is compromised. There's so many things, your neurological function, all that kind of stuff, your ability to handle stress and be resilient are so impacted by sleep. And there is nothing more foundational in your life in terms of self-care than sleep. So if you're thinking to yourself, I got a long way to go. I'm not sure where to start. I would start with this one thing, which is start by getting eight hours of sleep a night. And you know, the, the data is very clear. We, we tell ourselves we can get by in six hours. Some people are even trying to get by in four or five hours. We really can't. Our bodies are, you know, they're just, they are what they are and that's how much sleep they need. And if you sleep like that for a few weeks, you will feel like a new person again, like any new parent knows it is a game changer once you're finally back on that all night sleep schedule. So I can't really say enough about it. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I hear the passion, baby. I hear the, I hear yeah. the congratulations on getting your eight hours of sleep again. Yeah, maybe. you're right. I know I had to go back to again for a while. It was off with the baby. So creating your own double wins. Give me and give our listeners just a couple things that we ought to be taking notes on right now to ensure that we are indeed focused on what matters, letting go of the things that do not and taking the next right step forward. How do we create our wins? Yeah. I mean, when you're thinking about those non-negotiables, I would really give yourself permission to say what's not a non-negotiable or in other words, what is not, what is negotiable? For example, my husband and I had a conversation. We talk about this in the book, kind of how you can negotiate these things with your spouse. Um, if you're both working and you're trying to, you know, figure all this stuff out. I realized that I had this kind of preconceived notion. I had to take our kids to all their doctor's appointments. Well, if you have five kids and then you got some special needs in there, you got a lot of doctor's appointments. It was really interrupting my work schedule. You know, I'm only working six hours a day. And if I got a 12 o'clock doctor's appointment, and then you throw in school meetings on top of that, you know, all those things. So my husband and I actually sat down. Um, we did this again. We, we did it a while ago, but then we just did it again a few months ago. And we really renegotiated around that stuff. Let's talk about doctor's appointments. Let's talk about school meetings. It, you know, we're in the time when you have to go from elementary school to middle school and middle school to high school. So we're in a lot of like school admissions process, college, all that stuff. 
you know, if we just decided to divide it up, that I didn't need to be being a good mom, didn't mean I was at every single one of those events that actually he is a very capable parent also. And we could share that stuff and that that would be a game changer. It would give him the opportunity to be more intimately involved with what's going on with our kids. It would give me the freedom to have more consistency in my schedule at work and that everybody would win. And sometimes our babysitter does some of that, you know? So when we had that conversation and renegotiated what was actually negotiable, it was hugely freeing. So I just want to encourage you guys, when you're thinking about your self-care, your relational priorities and your professional results, what is negotiable? What is it that you actually don't have to do that somebody else could do, or you could just quit doing, you could take that pressure off yourself, you know, like maybe you don't need to make your bed every day. Maybe that's huge for you. Maybe that's not huge for you. Maybe you need to stop cooking so much. Maybe there's prepared items that you could get that would be healthy that would really be beneficial for you. You know, just that kind of stuff. I think we have to let ourselves off the hooks and lower the bar in the areas where it doesn't really matter. And, and you know, really take a stand for those few non-negotiables that are really going to enable us to get the double win. I'm getting ready to wrap up what we call the live inspired seven, but there's one more piece that I love about your story, love about your journey. And I think it's why you are currently enjoying the double win. Mm-hmm. You and I both are voracious journalers. We believe in the yeah. being focused on the things that matter than chasing that throughout the day and, and not getting yeah. weighed down with 11 things, but a little bit more laser focused. Right. Would, would you talk about your journey? Yeah. Talk about some of your processes that you utilize each day. Well, so part of my morning ritual, so part of my non-negotiable is a morning ritual. And this has changed a lot depending on what season I'm in with my kids. So when my youngest daughter was tiny, she's born prematurely, I, you know, there's like five or 10 minutes long, but part of my morning ritual now it's a little bit longer because she's older and she doesn't wake up till seven o'clock is that I identify for the day in something we call the full focus planner is one of our products. I identify my big three for the day. And this really means my big three priorities for the day. So again, I'm really establishing the non-negotiables for my day. You've kind of seen this theme develop here. And those are based on, I've already established what the outcomes I need to accomplish for the week are, our weekly big three. So now I'm asking the question, what kind of smaller tasks, discrete tasks do I need to accomplish today in order to move toward those weekly outcomes, my weekly big three. This is every day. I write this in my full focus planner, my big three. I write my schedule for the day that helps me to orient around. Okay. What am I doing today? Where am I going to be focused? You know, I can kind of think ahead and look for trouble spots along the way where I need to bring a snack. Like I did today, you know, we're on a little later than normal. So I got a snack in my bag over there. So I don't get too hungry and I get off the plan. You went in the background, but I, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't eaten it yet, but I've got it over there in my bag. Um, you know, so that is a big part of my practice. I actually start my day with coffee first. Let's be honest. That's always first. Then I have a brief devotional time. Then I identify my big three for the day and write down my schedule, my full focus planner. And then I plan my food for the day, which is just what am I going to eat for the next 24 hours? So I can be intentional about that. Nothing complicated. And then I work out for about 45 minutes. And so that is my schedule for the day. All that happens before seven or so when my daughter wakes up. So anyway, that's, I think that's what you're talking about. That practice of writing down and being intentional about the day really is the orienting practice um, of my, my morning ritual and, and really of my life in many ways. So there's several things in there that we're going to unpack briefly. And yeah, many of us sit down behind the laptop or we show up at the nursing station or we show up at the, the, the desk at grade school ready to teach the day. And it's almost like we stretch and say like, ah, what should I do today? Right. And 
you're clear on that from the onset of the day. I think that's yeah. really wise. Secondly, before 7 a.m., you've already had a day. Right. Before most right. people are hearing the alarm buzz for the first time. Yep. Dude, you've had your devotional. You've had your cup of coffee. You've had a couple of glasses of water. You planned out yep. the food. You planned out the day. You know what matters. You know what doesn't. Yep. And you're ready to love on those kids. Yep. And, and then the third thing that I think is really important, you brought it up earlier. We're going to come back to it right now. The reason why you're able to be so productive in the morning is because you're going to bed. Exactly. Hour. Right. If I wasn't going to bed at nine, that wouldn't be possible. It's really, for me, I know that I need that two hours in the morning. And again, this has been as short as 15 minutes. There were seasons when I walked in the afternoon, I couldn't do the working out, like whatever, you know, there's different seasons here, but I've always prioritized that time because it sets me up for a productive day. But the only way to do that is to get in bed early enough. And honestly, I could probably go to bed by eight or eight 30. Cause that's just kind of like my natural biological clock. My husband, and I have compromised at nine o'clock. Uh, he could probably stay up later than that. So yeah, I know. I think wives are akin and uh, I'm like, are you sure you want to, you know, the nine o'clock news hasn't even started yet. Are you sure? That? <laughs> I know it's always a pull. There's always one more thing on Netflix. I might want to watch, but I'm always like, I will be glad in the morning when I went to bed. Megan, we could spend all afternoon hanging out, but I think your husband is beginning to look over your shoulder saying, I've got Carol <laughs> O'Leary, let her go, man. So we, we've got seven questions called the Live Inspired Seven. Great. Heather, all of our guests together. And the first one is, Megan, what is the most impactful book that you've ever read? Oh gosh, I don't know if I could pick the single most impactful, but one of my favorite books is called Radical Candor by by Kim Scott. And she did leadership for Apple and Google. And it is a powerful book on leadership for really having candid conversations, giving candid feedback to your team in a way that ultimately builds them up and moves the organization forward. And it's probably impacted my leadership and my courage around hard conversations more than anything else. So we had Kim on our podcast. Oh, awesome. And read the book again and practice what she preaches. She's amazing. It is so good. It Mm -hmm. just, it's healthy to speak your mind from a place, but to speak your mind. Right. So what's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a young girl, 10, 11 years old, (laughs) that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Mm, Oh, that's a great question. Um, probably my artistic ability. So I was really creative and really artistic. I drew a lot. I was always making things. I was that kid that got, this is showing my age, but my mom would have a bar of ivory soap by the kitchen sink because there was no liquid pump soap, you know, and I would get a little knife and I would carve designs in it. I mean, I I was just always making things. And I think I apply that differently now, but I kind of miss that part of myself that was just ready to go gung-ho into something artistic without even thinking about whether or not I was good at it. Well, good luck on the piano. I think that's a great- Yeah, thanks. I think it's a good first step. (laughs) Megan, if your home caught fire and your five babies are out, your husband's out, the pets Mm. are all out safe and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item, what's the one thing you come racing back outside with? Probably our dog. The dog safe. Oh, the dog safe. Okay, all the all the living things and people. All are safe. living things are out. Yeah. Um, I would probably grab the memories uh, and pictures of my boys when they were in Uganda before we adopted them. Some of which only exist in analog, you know, form, physical form. Those are pretty irreplaceable. So I think that's what I would grab. All the all of our family photos and everything that's all in the cloud, so that would be safe. This is question number four B, but how how do you celebrate both their birth and their origin as well as the day you got them and their home? 
Yeah. Well, that's a hard question to answer. We're actually going to Uganda this summer in June to see their birth families, which is very rare for international adoption to have any contact or even knowledge of birth families. We have built relationships with their birth families and they have very large birth families. So that's going to be exciting. What I know for sure about transracial adoption, international adoption is that their identity is bigger than our family. And we're, our goal is to connect them with their story as much as possible and to give them as many touch points, both with their African heritage, as well as their African-American experience uh, now um, to really hopefully give them kind of the full picture. We know that our family isn't the whole picture. It's a very important part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. So that's been a journey, I think, to come to that point. Um, yep. But it's been, it's been really interesting. And I think this will be an important part of their story to go back and visit. We have not been back in 10 years. So this will be a big deal. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. If, if you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous Nashville day and have a long conversation with anybody living or deceased, <laughs> who do you want to be hanging out on that park bench with? Oh my gosh. This is like the hardest question ever. Um, oh gosh. I think... Well, okay, if I could just, or, you know, architect this in any way, I think I would want to sit down with Martin Luther King and I would want to ask him for his insight into our cultural moment from his perspective, knowing what happened after he died, that that would be really fascinating as a person of faith myself, as someone who cares deeply about the work of racial justice, I would be fascinated to sit with him and talk about it now that so many things have happened, so many things are happening. I think that would be fascinating. To my left, to your right, are pictures of people throughout history who've changed the world and who I want to be more like. Mm -hmm. And one of them is a man sitting next to his daughter, putting his right arm on her upper shoulder, big, beautiful brown eyes looking up to her daddy. And it's Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, (laughs) progress has been made, no doubt. And yet the opportunity to step more fully into true unity and equality remains. Yep. There's a lot of work left to do. That's for sure. What's the best advice you've ever received, whether it was from Martin Luther King Jr., your father, <laughs> anybody else? What's the best advice you've you ever received? Um, I think the best advice I've ever received is from my dad. And he taught me early that basically everything is figure outable. He would, he would always say to me, this is like pre-internet, again, showing my age, pre-internet, all that stuff. He would say, Megan, all you got to do is find a book or a person, somebody out there Someone somewhere knows how to do what you want to do. All you have to do is find them. You don't have to be the expert. You don't have to figure it all out yourself. You just have to find the person who is. And that has been so empowering, particularly in my professional journey and my parenting journey, because those are the places where I most often feel kind of in over my head or out over my skis. And to realize like, I don't have to have all this inside myself. There are people out there that know what I need to know. And I just have to find them. And usually that's a lot easier than we think. What advice would you give yourself at age 20? You could whisper into her ear. What would you say? (laughs) Well, I had a absolute uh, terrifying fear of public speaking my entire life. I recently overcame this several years ago. You may be able, you may be thinking, did she say several years ago? Yeah, I waited that long. It was absolutely debilitating. And what I didn't know is that I would enjoy it. I would actually be good at it. And it wasn't nearly as terrifying as I thought, but I would go back and tell myself, you know what? This is too small of a thing to let it control you. This is, this is only big in your mind. 
And it's been an amazing journey to uh, let go of that and to lean into this, you know, more public onstage part of my journey. You've moved through the fear, Megan Hyde Miller. Yeah, I have. <laughs> Question for a woman no longer afraid of sharing her heart, her thoughts, yes. wisdom with an audience. Right. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Megan, how would you like your one sentence to read? Oh my gosh, these are the hardest questions ever. <laughs> um, I hope that it would be summed up that everything I did was motivated by love. You know, I hope my kids will say that. I hope our team will say that. I hope the people I get to impact will say that. I mean, that's, that's what I want. I want, again, as a person of faith, you know, I want my life to be modeled after the life of Jesus. And I want to become more and more conformed to his image and have that kind of love. And I think that's the work of a lifetime and beyond. So, you know, hopefully that can be said of me at the end. Megan Hyde Miller was successful in life and won at work because she was motivated at life. Megan, where can we learn more about the, uh, about the new book? Yeah, thank you. Um, the best place to go is to go to winandsucceedbook.com uh, slash liveinspired because we have some really cool bonuses for your listeners. You guys go ahead and order the book. Just take your receipt over there. But again, that's winandsucceedbook.com slash liveinspired. I love the, I, I love the hash on it. It's going to be a, a <laughs> wonderful, impactful read for those who check it out. I loved it. And I Thanks, encourage John. our listeners to check it out as well. My friends, that is Megan Hyatt Miller. She's the author of Win at Work and Succeed in Life. My name is John O'Leary, and this is your day. Live Inspired. And now, a word from our friends at Keeley Companies. What started in 1976 as a local paving company has grown into a national provider of construction, infrastructure, wireless, technology, development, and logistic solutions. Over four decades and 1,800 Keelians later, Keeley companies' roots still guide them. In the words of their founder, Larry Keeley, quality and service never go out of style.